We are continuing this week, uh, week number three of our Nothing New series. Uh, everybody say, Nothing New. Now say it like you're 10 o'clock and you've had an extra hour to sleep than 8.30. Nothing new. Come on. So, yeah, all right. Uh, we are continuing this series. Basically, if you're just catching up with us in this series, we are uh, diving into um, uh, some topics that are happening right now around us, some issues, stuff we're going through uh, that are modern-day problems, and we're going back into Scripture, and we're looking at how Scripture and uh, stories out of the Bible can relate to what we're going through now. Uh, and our kind of our flagship verse is Ecclesiastes 1.9. It says this, History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Essentially, what's going on in our world today, although packaged a little differently sometimes, although we look at it a little differently, it presents itself differently, we handle it differently, at the root of it, at the core of it all, is a lot of the same issues and things that you can find in Scripture. A lot of the same stuff that happened to some of our favorite Bible characters and people in Scripture that we look at can be applied to the stuff that we're doing and going through today. For example, how many of you have ever been distracted before? Come on, raise your hand. Be proud about distraction. Come on. Raise it up high. Come on. Show it off. Keep it up. Keep it up. If you've been distracted, if you're not raising your hand, okay, you're either uh, 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 telling a little fib or you're embarrassed to raise your hand up or I need to come have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with you to figure out how you're not distracted <laughs> because I get distracted all the time. This weekend, uh, we took about 25 of our real-life students and leaders on spring break retreat, and uh, we spent uh, three days on Lake Ouachita and just had a really fun time, just a great It's one of my favorite events we do all year. But you learn something in student ministry that uh, maybe you don't know if you're not around teenagers a lot. There is a large majority of teenagers who are, let's say, ADD, okay? <laughs> they get distracted really easily, and so it's, it's hard sometimes to wrangle them all in. If you're not familiar with, uh, with how uh, ADD and distraction works, I've got a quick video that I think will sum it up quite nicely. Let's, let's show that video real quick. Hey, I like dogs. We have your dog. Whoa. Wonder who he belongs to. Sit, boy. Hey, look, he's trained. Sheik. Uh-huh. Speak. Hi there. <gasps> Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. Bruh! My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. <laughs> My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! My master is good and smart. It's not possible. Yeah, that's about how it is, okay? Everybody say squirrel. Okay, that's what we're talking about today, squirrels, okay? After the last service when I was talking to a couple of people, that's the only word they remembered I talked about was squirrel, okay? So uh, hopefully you remember that today too. We, we get distracted. I think that's a great illustration of sometimes how our spiritual life can look. We can be going along the right path. We can be going on having conversations with God. We can be, anybody get distracted when you try to pray at night, okay, right before bed or in the morning when you're trying to get the day started? Yeah, it's like, God, I love you so much. Uh, thank you so much for the day. Did I turn the coffee pot off? Um, did I close their garage? I did. I did close their garage door. God, we just thank you so much. Oh, I forgot to do that load of laundry. And we get distracted. And a lot of times, even on our, just our spiritual walk, our, our Christian walk, we can be walking along and say, God's doing good stuff in my life. I feel connected. I feel like I'm a part of something. And, man, God's just blessing my family. And all of a sudden, something can catch us off guard in our lives. 
Maybe it's something that comes against, maybe it's a struggle that happens, maybe it's something that happens in your family, the death of a loved one, financial situations, uh, loss, it doesn't matter, but something can come along in our lives and distract us, squirrel. We just start drifting away from where God has us. And it's easy to do if we allow it to happen. It's easy to get distracted. And so the good news is that even though it's our human nature to be distracted, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. When sin entered the world, all of a sudden we had this innate desire to be able to move away from God. Thankfully, Even though we have the desire to walk away, God has the desire to pursue us and to be relentless in in, in pursuing us. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So even though we are faithless, even though we say, You know what, God, I think I can do this on my own today. Thanks for your help. Thanks, but no thanks. I got this. And we walk away. God's saying, I'm not letting you off that easy. I want to pursue you. I want to be part of who you are. If you have a Bible or your Bible apps this morning, uh, go with me to the book of Haggai, okay? Now, some of you are looking at me going, dude, since Kevin's gone, are you making up books of the Bible? No, that's a real book, okay? If you don't know where it's at, go to Matthew and hang a left, all right? It's in the Old Testament. It's just a few books away from Matthew before you get to the end of the Old Testament. Haggai was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. It's a super small book. It's only two chapters long. If you blink, you'll miss it. That's why some of you are like, I've never heard of it before, okay? It's in there, I promise. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, I want to give you a quick history lesson on what's going on at this particular point in the Bible. Uh, in 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the people of God. They came in, warred with them, fought them, destroyed them, crushed their spirit. They destroyed the entire city of Judah, grabbed all the people, put them in exile, and destroyed the house of God, which was Solomon's temple, stripping away, essentially, the spiritual identity of this culture. Stripping away everything they knew about God, everything, the center of what it was, the the heartbeat of that community spiritually, they crushed it and devastated it. The Jews were taken into captivity for 50 years, 50 years, five decades away from their homes, away from their place of worship. This temple that meant so much to them was the centerpiece of their faith was now destroyed and they were separated from it. 50 years. But then the good news happens. In 538 B.C., King Cyrus made a decree, allowed about 50,000 people to travel back to the city of Judah to rebuild, to rebuild homes, to rebuild the temple. Finally, after five decades, they get to go back home. It's the entire purpose that they're going back home is to rebuild, is to rebuild everything that they once knew. So they go back, they start to rebuild the temple, they get the foundation in place, they get an altar in place, but then something happens. They get distracted. They get distracted. Somewhere along the line, something happens. They're met with some opposition, and they get distracted. And slowly and slowly, this is how I picture it happening. Slowly, you know, they were working every day tirelessly, 12-hour days. As long as the sun was up, they were working, pouring whatever they needed to pour, building, shaving off the bark of of wood and, and putting up, building, working, sweating, working as hard as they could. In my mind, I picture them one day, they're like, okay, you know, it's kind of raining today. I'm tired. Let's just take today off. And they wait a day. Well, you know what? It's such a pretty day out the next day. We could go for a picnic. What if we go for a picnic? We can hang out. We, we just need some time to rest. And slowly but surely, they start getting into complacency. And they eventually just gave up. And they walked away from God's work and just quit. 
They just gave up and quit. This is what it says in Haggai 1-2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Think about that for a minute. They were brought back to their home for that purpose, to rebuild the house of God. But yet they sat there and let distractions set in. Things got difficult. Life gets in the way. There are other things to be done. It's kind of like me when I try to go on a diet every year, okay? Every year. <laughs> January, you know, December, uh, the end of December rolls around. It's after Christmas. I'm like, oh gosh, I've eaten too much food, too many sweets, too many meals with family. It's the new year. I want to start losing some weight. I'm going to get, it's January 1. Let's go. Come on. New me. I'm going to be ripped. Okay, that's kind of the washboard ab effect, you know? I'm going to be ripped. Okay, welcome to the gun show. Here we go. I'm going to get there. And January 1 rolls around, and I'm like, well, you know what? We had a lot of leftovers from the New Year's Eve party. Um, we can't let those go bad. So I'll finish those, and when those are out of my fridge, that's when I'll start the diet. So the second week of January comes up. Okay, well, you know what? The Super Bowl is the first week of February. Mm, you know what? We always have a big party. Why start something just to have that big cheat day that's going to... I'll just wait till after the Super Bowl, and then I'll start. And then, well, wait. My birthday is in February, at the end of February. So we always go out... Well, Lauren's birthday is also at the end of February, so we'll just wait till after February's over. We get all the birthdays done. Then we'll... Our anniversary is in March, though. We always like to go out for a really nice dinner and kind of celebrate the whole week. So I'll wait till after... Memorial Day comes up soon after that, though, and it's just this long list of things, and you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off, and before you know it, it's June, and you try to take your shirt off at the beach, and people laugh, and it's just terrible. Distraction sets in. I remember um, when, we first, uh, when we first became New Life, and I first went, uh, got the chance to go on full-time here at the church, it's about four years ago, and if you've been in our church for at least five minutes, which I think most of you have, you know that we do not have a lot of space here. Those of you on metal chairs are about to just wave hankies because you believe that to be true, okay? And we know that there's not a lot of space here, and there's not a lot of office space either. There's not a lot of places that you can work throughout the week and get day-to-day -day stuff done. So when I, we went on full-time, um, I started working from home most of the time. Occasionally, I'll go to Starbucks, headphones in, and tune people out. And so if you ever see me at Starbucks and I'm ignoring you, I'm just, I'm just focused. That's my one opportunity to get focused. But... I work from home a lot during the week, and if you get distracted easily like I do, working from home is the worst place to be. Because Anybody work from home? Come on, raise your hand, be proud of it if you work from home. Yeah, okay, so you probably know what I'm talking about here. It's the worst place that you get distracted. So I'll wake up in the morning, I'll get ready, I'll get a cup of coffee going, make it just like I want it, I'll go into my home office, and I'll sit down, and I'll get ready, and I'll... I'll get the laptop out like, all right, today I am going to crush this. I'm going to get stuff done. Here we go. Crack the knuckles. Ready. And I'll get 30 minutes into it, take a sip of coffee again. And I'll like, oh, my coffee's a little cold. I need to warm it up a little bit. So I get up, take my cup, head to the kitchen. And as I'm, I'm, I'm on the way to the kitchen, out of the corner of my eye, squirrel, okay, <laughs> I see a blanket that's not where it's supposed to be. Lauren loves her blankets. They're everywhere. And I see the blanket, I'm like, I need to put that blanket up. It's, it's kind of messy. So I'll pick the blanket up. I'll start folding it. As I'm walking to put it up, I remember, oh, somebody texted me. I need to text them back. So I got a blanket in one head, hand, a, t a phone in the other hand, and I'm texting these people. Before I know it, three minutes have passed. I'm on the couch with the blanket on me now, <laughs> texting people back. And then those, those alerts on your phone, 
they will drive you. You could be doing the most serious thing, and if an alert pops up, you look at it, right? Okay? And so I get an alert from ESPN. Hey, that bracket you filled out, place it firmly in the shredder because it's dumb and it's no longer useful to you. And so, of course, I have to watch the Florida buzzer beater that happened, okay, so I can know what's going on. And before I know it, three hours have passed. I've watched Charlie bit my finger four times, and I can't get any work done. We get distracted easily. And this is exactly how I feel the people of Israel in this moment were. This is how the people of God were in a nutshell. They had started a project. They had gotten started. They had everything lined up. They were excited. They were ready to get stuff done. But one thing happened, and it led to another, and it led to another. And before you know it, a snowball of distraction had happened to the point where they just completely gave up on the original process. They got distracted. So for 14 years, the people of Israel go back to the same pattern. They forgot the goodness and blessing that God had given them, and they had turned back to their default status, which was selfishness. I'm going to focus on me. That's when Haggai shows up. Here's what it says in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Is it time for you to live in a paneled house while his house remains in ruin? The paneled houses that they're referring to are basically the nicer houses. This is, this is fancy living in this time. And God is saying, you, are, you have spent so much time on your own home, making sure it's good that you've neglected the house of God. Now, God is not saying you can't have nice things. He wants you to have nice things. I believe that with everything I have. He wants you to have the best things available to you. He wants you to have nice houses, nice cars, well-paying jobs, send your kids to the finest schools and have the greatest things. He wants you to live freely and, and have an abundance. But... He doesn't want the fancy and nice things to take the focus away from him. He still wants to be the focus of your life. If the nice things that the paneled houses of your life are taking you away from God, he wants you to flip it. He wants you to put your attention to him. He needs to have the focus in your life. The temple represented God being at the center of everyday life for these people. For this culture, it represented being the center. Everything surrounded, prior to this, everything in that culture surrounded the temple. That's where they worshiped. That's where God was. That's where they spent their time. That represented who God was. And because of the distractions in their life, a very sobering thing began to happen. They began to get used to life without the temple in their life. It became something that was just there. Kind of like, you know, a restaurant in, a, in town that... We'll, we'll go out of business and just sit there. You're like, oh, that restaurant went out of business. After a few months, you don't even notice it anymore. You drive by, it's just part of it. That's, that's how they viewed the temple at that point. 14 years have passed. It was just that half-finished temple. That was just part of it. They got used to God not being in their city anymore. They got used to being without a temple, a place that once stood as a symbol of their faith, of their spiritual identity as a nation, now sat in ruins. They got so caught up in their busy lives that they abandoned what was supposed to be the center of their life, which is God. Verse 6 says this, You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you can never get warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Translation, you're working your tail off, but you're not making any progress in your life. You're accumulating stuff, not anything to your life. 
I read a statistic this week that said over 40% of young adults, the millennial generation, 40% of them, 20s and 30s, are back living at home with their parents or a close relative. 40%. It's the highest number since 1940. 40%. And here's my personal theology. Here's my personal opinion on why I think this is happening. There's a generation of people, I think, who are more focused on what they want to do than who they want to be. They're so focused on the career, the career, the career, that they let their character slip. They let relationships with God and other people slip. They're so focused on, I got this art degree, I got to go get this job, that's my job. I'm getting it as soon as I graduate, that's my job. And when it doesn't work out, they can't fall back on their character because they didn't spend time developing it. They didn't spend time working on them, their relationship with God, how to be a better person. It was only the goal, the goal. And if the goal doesn't happen, then where do you land up? You revert back to what's familiar. You revert back to a default mode. That's what the people of Israel did in this moment. When life didn't work out, when they thought as soon as they got back, we're free. We're going to go rebuild the temple. It'll be done in a week. It'll be awesome and we can go back to normal again. And when it didn't happen in a week, when they got discouraged, when distraction set in, they reverted back to a default mode. If you're taking notes with me this morning, write this down. Sometimes we can get so busy making a living that we aren't making a life. We can focus so much on making a living that we're not making a life for us. We can focus so much on the stuff, the job, the busyness of life. Got to get kids to soccer practice. I got a, I got a ballerina rehearsal over here. I've got a recital over here. We got, listen, even church can become that way. Take it from somebody who's in the ministry, and I know several of you have been in the ministry also. Church can become just, it can have nothing to do with God at some times. It can be about the process and the programs and distractions, and you can pull, you can be in ministry so much that it pulls away from God. It can become a distraction. We can get so busy with stuff that we're no longer focused on God, but instead we're focused on what's around us. The same message that Haggai gives in verse 7 from God is the one I want to share with us today. And that's this, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. It's so important. If we give no thought on how we're living, we'll revert to default mode. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I love this. That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended. Civilizations are built up. Excellent institutions are devised. But each time something goes wrong, some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and the cruel people to the top, and it all slides back down to misery and ruin. When we let distraction take over in our lives, we revert back to a default mode of selfishness. We shift the focus to ourselves. Our selfish and sinful desire will always creep back in. So how can we get back on track? Let me give you three quick things, and we'll let you go this morning. Number one, Allow God to stir something up in you again. Allow God to stir something back up in you again. Verse 13 and 14 says this, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. By the way, if you're expecting a baby, okay, consider Zerubbabel, okay? It's a great name. It works for a boy and a girl. Just add it to your list. Consider it. Pray over it. You never know, okay? Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, 
and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. It required a stirring up in their spirit once again to get started. That phrase, stirred up in spirit, it literally means to awaken. Uh, do we have any iced coffee fans in the house? Come on, show me, participate. Here we go. If you like iced coffee, yeah, okay. Basically, I like coffee in any form, <laughs> okay? Hot, ice, ice cream, candy. Uh, if they made a coffee-flavored chip, I'd eat it, okay? If they made coffee-flavored gum, it would be nasty, but I'd still try it because I like coffee, okay? And, but iced coffee really fascinates me. Lauren's favorite place to go eat, okay? Anytime I ask her, hey, where do you want to go eat? Uh, her immediate response is Chick-fil-A, okay? She loves Chick-fil-A. We go there like 48 times a week. I'm not even joking. I mean, we go there all the time. And so she loves their breakfast especially, and so she will get uh, her favorites, uh, the chicken minis. Come on, they're a gift from God himself. He came down and said, here, here, Truett Kathy, you can use this. This is, this, this is my personal stash. So she gets the chicken minis and then a uh, vanilla iced coffee from Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A does iced coffee, you know, how you're supposed to do iced coffee. It's not just pre-made and in a, in a, in a jug that they pour out like, you know, some places do. Um, this is, uh, they, they make it fresh there. And so when you get the iced coffee, at the bottom half of the coffee, it is, you can see the, the color difference. That the bottom is black, it's the coffee, and at the top is all the flavors and the milks and the creams and all the good stuff, okay? And... It's a distinct separation. And if you just stick a straw in and start drinking, what are you going to get? You're going to get coffee. That's all you're going to get. When the straw gets down there, you're just going to get a whole big gulp of, of coffee taste. And some people love that. That's great. Black coffee. I don't do black coffee. I just can't. I tried it. did not go well. I don't like it. In order to get the taste of the way it's supposed to be made, what do you have to do to it? You have to stir it up. In order to get how it was intended to be received, you have to stir it up. You can't just let it sit how it was. That's an illustration for us for how the people of Israel were in this moment and a good example for us in our lives today. There are times that we can get so stationary and things so-so that we have to allow God to stir us up a little bit to let the goodness start to come out. We can be like that black coffee, just plain, simple, bitter to the taste, or we can allow God to stir us up and do something new in our life the way that it was intended to be tasted, stirring up good things in our life. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you, you're doing good stuff. You're doing a really good job leading people. But let me encourage you, fan into a flame inside of your heart. Let it burn inside of you. Let it grow. Let it rage a fire inside of you so hot that you can't contain it to be able to pursue and reach more people. We have to allow God to stir us up into awakening. Number two this morning, be strong and get to work. Be strong and get to work. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Haggai says this, But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. Now get to work. Get to work. I am with you, says the Lord of, the heavens, of heaven's armies. Get to work. Be strong. Bible says, God says be strong three different times. Why is he telling them to be strong? Because they had gotten discouraged. They had gotten to a point where they had just become discouraged about what was happening since they got back. Joyce Meyer says this about discouragement. Depression begins with disappointment. And when disappointment festers in our soul, it leads to discouragement. Discouragement is a heartbeat away from depression in our lives. 
If you get discouraged about something, if something comes against you and it didn't happen the way you want it to, you are a heartbeat, one step away from falling into a state of depression where you don't feel like doing anything. You just feel lethargic about everything and you just don't have the energy to even try. Discouragement, one heartbeat away. The people of Israel faced two types of discouragement at this time. The first way they felt discouragement was through comparison. Okay, this is something we do all the time in 2017. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. For them, uh, it, was, it was comparing their start with somebody else's finish. Comparing their start with someone else's finish. To them, they were just starting on their temple. They were just starting on rebuilding this thing. But all they could think about was how Solomon's temple looked. When it was complete, it was lavish, it was giant. It was, it was a presence to behold. It had the nicest things. It was the best place to be. And they look at their place, just a, a concrete slab of a foundation, an altar sitting there. In my mind, I picture them just kind of, you know, like our building was in, in its infancy, just stray beams, and it looks like a jumbled mess, but there's a plan to it, I'm sure, in there somewhere. And that's how I think they, they saw theirs. They looked at their temple and said, mm -mm, this does not look like Solomon's did. We're doing something wrong, and it allowed discouragement to settle in. I remember when Lauren and I first got married, we, we, would, we would look at other couples that we knew that we were friends with who had been married for like 10 years, and we would get discouraged because we looked at them and said, man, look at all the stuff they have. Why don't we have that? We're supposed to start there. That's where we're supposed to be. It was easy for us, even in the first year we were married, to look at it and say, man, you know, they can do stuff. They have a house that they can live in. They've got uh, nice cars. they got all this stuff. And we're sitting here in our, our little apart, our tiny apartment with old cars. And we're like, why, why can't we get to that point? Why, why can't we get to that status? And it took us a while to, to remember. And some people had to tell us, listen, you don't start out that way. You can't compare your start to somebody else's finish. They have 10 years on you. It takes time because God wants to work with you and walk you through every step of the process. Every step of the process, he wants to teach us something new and something different. We can't compare ourselves to somebody else's finish. The second uh, way that uh, they faced discouragement was lack of progress. They had gotten a month into building this temple and were just discouraged at how poorly it was going. I remember uh, whenever we were starting the building process on our new building, and um, we had the groundbreaking, and it felt like it took forever to see anything happen. They moved a little dirt, which was cool. Yay, we had excitement. And then it just the pad sat there for what felt like years. It was just a few weeks. But I was like, well, shouldn't we be doing something by now? I'm so excited. I'm going to jump around. I'm just, can we not do something yet? There's lack of progress. But what had to happen, permits had to be done, the back end had to be done, drawings had to be made up. There was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we couldn't see. But the lack of progress caused us to be discouraged. It caused me to be discouraged. Like, shouldn't we be doing this by now? Can we not just put the building up? It should be done in like a week, right? Okay. No, it takes time. There's a process to it. We, unfortunately, we live in an instant world. We want everything now, 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 now. Don't you get so frustrated when you roll up to like Burger King or something and you, you, you order your food and you pay for it and you give them the card and then they say those words I always hate to hear. Hey, can you pull forward a little bit? <laughs> we don't have the food ready yet. I know we're fast food and we're supposed to, but no, you have to pull forward a little bit. And I get so mad. I'm like, no, <laughs> I will not. I'm going to stay here and make everybody else wait. I want my food now. I want it now. We want it now, now, now. I expect to give you money and you hand me food. That's how fast food works in a drive-thru. 
But it doesn't always work out that way. We can't have everything instant, instant. There's a process that takes place. And God's saying the process is important. Without the process, there's no growth. Without the process, there's no longing. The process is part of it. We want to wait right now. And he's saying if we will stay strong and keep working toward the goal that God has for us, he will make a way. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The reason people give up so quickly is because they tend to look how far they have to go instead of how far they've already come. You look at the end game and say, my gosh, that's so far away, but here you are, two-thirds of the way there. But we don't remember the, the, the time it took to get there. We only see how far we have left to go. We have to embrace the process, be part of it, be strong. He says in our scripture, be strong and do the work, for I am with you. And that's the real key of it all. We have to trust God is with us. He's with us the whole time. He said, be strong. Do the work. I'm with you. I'm the key. I'm the important part here. I will make it happen. But I need you to trust me. Follow me. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 9. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven armies, have spoken. And you know God has a good word when he says, I have spoken. He says, I have spoken. It will be better than it was before. When we allow God to work in us, he's able to do more than we imagined. Number three, and I'm closing. Let God reset your priorities. Let God reset your priorities. One of the best things I can think of to help you uh, stay focused and keep on track with your faith, your calling, is to remember why you do it in the first place. And the answer is people. Everything we do for Christ is for people. It's for souls. To tell somebody about the good news of God. To let somebody know about how great he is. For people who need to hear the hope of Jesus. For people who are hurting to be set free. For the single parent who is struggling and doing everything they can to keep everything together, to keep enough income in, to keep enough food on a table, to keep everything together when something goes wrong, to make sure everything's taken care of. For the classmate or the coworker who feels overwhelmed and doesn't know how they're going to fit everything in by deadline. That's why we do it. It's for people. The closer we get to God, the more we tend to take our eyes off of ourselves and begin to see things differently. The closer we get to God, we, we don't see just us anymore, but we start to view things the way God views them, with selflessness. It's about other people, reaching other people. And listen, we, we may not be able to completely avoid distraction, but when we reset our priorities and put God back at the center of everything, we can have more purpose to get back on track. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, we took some of our real-life students and leaders. We went to Guatemala, uh, Zacapa, Guatemala, on a mission trip, and um, it was a great experience for us. We, we learned a lot. There was one day, I think it was the third day we were there, we, um, we were going to go baptize some people in a small village that we went to. This village was located at the uh, very almost the very top of this mountain. It was a massive, if you think the mountains in Arkansas are big, whoo, go to Guatemala, they're massive. And we were at this small little village 
And the plan was, hey, we're going to hike down uh, to this, uh, to the bottom of the mountain. And there's a, a great spot that we're going to baptize people. We're going to take some people from this village. We're going to meet some people down there at that village. It's at the edge of this waterfall. It was a really just a surreal place to be. It was one of the highlights of that trip for me. And on the way down on, on the hike, we naturally formed a line as you do when you hike with a group of people. We kind of form a line and start to spread out a little bit. And being in, in student ministry, I, I'm so used to when we take our students somewhere, we go to an event or something, being at the front of the line. Because i got to be at the front of the line. I hold my arm up or I hold something up high so they know where I am so they can follow me so we can get to where we need to go. Uh, my old youth pastor, when I was a student, used to always hold an umbrella up. It was just a bright yellow umbrella. He just hold it up, and that way we knew where he was. So I'd always be at the front of the line. Hey, guys, come on, follow me. You know, stop touching that. Come here. And we'd just go along our way. But... On that day, I, I had a realization, and it's just stuck with me ever since. It was, Craig, you, you can't be in the lead this time. A, you're in Guatemala. You know nothing here. B, you don't know where you're going. If I was in the lead, if I was leading this adventure, if I was leading us down the side of this mountain, we'd probably still be in Guatemala today, okay? There's no way I would know where to go. So I had to say, hey, I obviously can't lead, so you lead the way. I had to reprioritize how I usually do things. I had to let our host lead the way, our guide lead the way. He led us right down there and back. We didn't get lost. We didn't go down the wrong path. We didn't end up in a volcano. We didn't do any of that. We made it down. We baptized some people. It was an amazing time. My point is this. There are a lot of times in our life we think we can handle it. There's a lot of moments, stuff we go through that we think, I got this. I can handle this. It's all on me. I've, I've done stuff like this before. I can do this. And we want to take the lead. We want to be in first. We want to be at the front of the line. But if we will reprioritize our life and say, God, you take the, the front. You take the reins. You lead me where I need to go. You know the destination. You know where I'm supposed to go. Let me fall in line and follow you. And we let him do that. We reach our goal so much faster, so much better. The goal being people. He will lead us into the situations with people that we need to talk to. Lead us to people, friends, colleagues, coworkers, classmates that we need to have relationship with. Luke 9.23 says this, and I'm closing. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. I love this. Follow me. And I'll show you how. Jesus is saying, follow me. Let me show you where to go. Let me show you how to get there. Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me this morning?